Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 283rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast featuring a million-dollar prize pool with phasing, fading, and a bunch more high-value keywords. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, the summer is slowly but surely coming to a close with... Don't the world in as great of a danger as it was when we started. Why would but, you say uh, that? Why would you say that the summer's coming to a close? What a grim thing to say to me. Don't you foolish Americans go back to school like August 1st or something? If I were in school. Uh, <laughs> it depends on what college or elementary or grade school. Grade school's uh, early September, I think. College is the end of the month, so like August, late, late August. Last week of August. Our colleges work the same, but in primary through high school, everybody gets out end of June and goes back end of August. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it matches up pretty closely. It's still still rude to remind someone that summer's almost over. <laughs> I don't like it. Um, okay. Especially with this July, man. It's been unbelievably wet. Hmm, it's pretty good. Pretty solid on this side of the lake. Really? I, I, I don't have the number in front of me, but I have to imagine we broke the record by a wide margin for wettest July on record. It rained almost every day. It's like 25 days of rain in July. It was odd. Uh, anyways, we have an episode to talk about. Uh, segment one, our MTGO Metagame Week in Review. A modern challenge from just yesterday. Uh, our top paper movers, we got a couple things to talk about that have moved in price this week, as well as what's happening over on MTGO. Segment three, our cards to watch. What we think will bump up the most in price this week. Uh, shiny well, this this year. This is sure. What what this week we think will bump up over the sure. next year ish. <laughs> Very shiny selection. Uh, finally, segment four, our topic of the week. Uh, we'll we'll touch on whatever tickles our fancy. Probably some flesh and blood and their one million dollar prize pool pro tour. Um, and a question that's been percolating in the Discord is is Watsy kind of missing in the long game? Uh, those are into, kind of connected concepts there. Yeah. Uh, but let's start up here at the top. This MTGO modern challenge uh, taken down by Eldrazitron. In first place, the, uh, the bad guy of the format still manages to show up every week and do some damage. Um, although this is, I say that, but I guess this is a little different because this isn't Tron. This is Eldrazi Tron. So we have the Matter Reshapers, Reality Smasher, the Thought Not Seers. Uh, a trio that we definitely thought was going to do better, at least financially, than it ever did. <laughs> at least I well, did. 
Well, and 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 honestly, we we haven't seen Tron in the top eight of any of these modern tournaments basically since Modern Horizons Two showed up. Not that it hasn't been top eight of any tournament, but its presence has been greatly reduced um, despite having access to Urza Saga. Uh, this Eldrazi Tron list is even more of a rarity because you know, as you said, it was a bad boy a couple of years ago, but. You know, most of the versions of Tron we've seen have been mono green Tron, if anything, and we and indeed we see that here in second. So we have two Tron lists, first and second, um, where where they had no presence prior to, you know, uh, this one challenge on the second. So I'm very curious to see whether this is going to it, whether the tweaking of these lists is a response to the existing meta, or these are some experienced Tron players that just happen to you know, through a combination of good play and luck, make their way through to the top of this heap. <laughs> I'm sure they'd be happy to have their success attributed to luck, but that's probably not unfair. Well, uh, I mean, any, any honest Magic player knows that if you're quote-unquote running hot one day, you may as well just call it lucky. Well, yeah, yeah. There's No one wins a GP without getting very lucky. Having, uh, having two or three of your opponents get land screwed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I the the Aldrazi core there, the Matter Reshapers, Reality Smashers, the Thought Not Seers. Man, we thought those Thought Not Seers were going to end up doing better than they did. Ultimately, a little bummed on that. Um, I sold all my foil Russian Thought Not Seers for sure. Yeah, Reality Smashers too. They all made good money. Took took a couple of years for to find a buyer, as is typical for that kind of inventory. But yeah, they did well. Well, yeah. I mean, we definitely. I mean. I seem to recall the nature of our conversations being that like thought not here was going to be, I mean, it thought not here was good for a little while, but, uh, <laughs> well, especially be- before they banned the other two mana land that they had access to. I thought that wasn't that after like what that wasn't, or wasn't that, didn't that ban occur before kind of pretty early on in the conversation? I feel like, I mean, we certainly have talked about Eldrazi pieces multiple times on cast. So I'd have to go back and check the tape from two yeah, years ago, yeah. but I mean, there's another card on here that is in a similar kind of position in terms of foil Russian versions being worth something down the road. I just got in a, a bunch of foil Russian promo Karn the Great Creator. By a bunch, I mean four. What's um, Which promo? The the one that comes out of the promo packs that has the Planeswalker symbol on them. Okay, so still basically the same looking card, but just with the Planeswalker promo. or the Foil style. Russian and with the Planeswalker promo symbol. Very rare version indeed. Hmm. Those are nifty. Probably not too many of those floating around. Uh, nope. Uh, interesting that they're running two Urza Saga in this list. Um, as I said, they do have access to it. And then Karn gives them this massive toolbox out of the sideboard, of course. Um, now, the second place, the one that was green-based, uh, also has the four Karn the Great Creator, but also four Karn Liberated and two Ugin, you know, the standard big, big Manatron stuff. And then... All is Dust and Ulamog and Wormcoil Engines, all the usual suspects. But this list didn't run any Urza Saga. They did run a Yavimaya Cradle of Growth. Hmm. Um, another another potential outlet for demand for that card. Yeah, getting and I guess, to turn all of your Urza's lands into green mana producing is probably not terrible as a freebie. Yep. Now, a few weeks back, we did see, it was two weeks ago, that uh, Nasif won Jeskai Control, won with Jeskai Control in the July 18th Modern Challenge, running things like four Prismatic Ending, a Counterspell, four Shark Typhoon. And here we have the evolution of that list, uh, including a variety of the same cards, but of note, 
Only two prismatic ending here in favor of other blue and red uh, control options, including four counterspell inst- instead of Nassif's one copy. Uh, and one timeless dragon. Boy, oh boy. Modern Horizons 2 cards just cannot keep their hands off this format. Timeless Dragon is 3 and 2 white for a dragon creature, 5-5 five, five flying, that has plane cycling 2 and eternalize 4. So you cycle it early to get the dual or tri land you need, because you can go get a Rogrin Triome out of your land base, and then you eternalize it to put a 5-5 five, five in play. Uh, I thought eternalize were 4-4s. Four, okay, so a 4-4 four, four flyer for 4. Which, yeah, which you already got paid on. And it's a zombie too, I think? Yeah. That sounds yes. right. Yeah. Uh, this this jumped out at me as well as an interesting inclusion. Um, I mean, it's basically, this cycling's at an instant speed too, so being able to do, you know, hold up a counter spell, and then if they don't do anything relevant, just turn the creature in your hand into a land. It's only the one, but it's, it is interesting. Um, Two Castle Vantress. Uh, foil extended art versions of that uh, are draining out along with most of the other good castles from the original collector booster boxes throwing a veil drain yeah uh, I, and then, I see the four counter spell in there which I would take as another data point because it's, I feel like counter spell has been wishy-washy on whether it's how many are appropriate but he's uh, he buckled in brought the four full full yep. four uh, Grixis Luris, four Drown in the Lock, three Unholy Heat, and a bunch of the usual stuff from that list. Hammer Time in fifth, four Esper Sentinel, four Urza Saga, two Silent Clearing as relevant spec uh, callouts. Four Color Elementals making another appearance. A uh, fairly enduring list running two Endurance, four Fury, four Omnath, four Risen Reef, and four Solitude. Fury Shardless- enduring list. Mm-hmm. Shardless Footfalls in 7th, uh, notably running a Seagate Restoration in the main, which is almost certainly a counter to the blue-black mill decks that didn't make top 8 this week. And Mono White Equipment slash Death and Taxes is the best name I can come up with for this 8th place list, which is certainly the most interesting of the bunch. Uh, with this one, you don't have Pure Steel Paladin shenanigans, you don't have hammer. It's not hammer time. There's no hammers in here. Um, instead, they're running four Esper Sentinel, three Ethersworn Canonist, three Ingenious Smith, four Stoneforge Mystic, and four Tide Hollow Sculler, four Thought Seas, and then 15 artifacts, including a Cranial Plating, four Nettle Cyst, another MH2 card, uh, one Pything Needle, four Portable Hole, the white removal spell that I had uh, wondered aloud whether it might replace or displace some portion of the prismatic ending gameplay in modern which apparently it it will if only to a minor effect here one relic of a progenitus one shadow spear one spring leaf drum two welding jar and 23 land including four urza saga i remember portable hole jumping out at me very early on in the DD spoilers just as it being a one mana removal spell that hits a lot of meaningful creatures and gets to be an artifact as well. And I said at the time, like, you know, there there are technically better removal spells, but being an artifact could have some real upside that might push it into playability. And I think that's what you're seeing here is they've essentially merged sort of death and taxes with um, 
an artifact sub theme here, the Ether's Horn Canonist in the main deck, really driving that point home. So it's, it's a clever little strategy here. Mm, fl several flavors mixed in. Yep. Uh, all right. So over to the fast movers of the week in paper, we have solve the equation non foils going from three to four fifty. Only a dollar fifty up, but. One to watch because Solve the Equation is so heavily played in EDH and also sees a smattering of play in Legacy that this is one of those uncommons that is likely to push higher. I would not be surprised if this card is $10 before it gets a reprint of any kind. Revel in Riches at Ixalan, seeing plenty of play in EDH, of course, going from $10 to $15. I sold a couple of uh, foils of that in the high 20s this week. Druid of Purification, extended art out of the... Uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms Commander decks, um, which means it comes out of the... The EAs will come out of the Collector Booster boxes for the set. Uh, from 5 to 8, which I'm going to attribute to early AFR speculation. The theory being that the D&D CBs are doing so poorly sales-wise that, you know, we're getting vendor panicked vendors saying to us, Hey, like, how low do I have to get to unload some cases with you guys? And us being like, well, our, our first wave didn't do that well, so we're probably not going to run a second unless it's real, real tempting. Um, all of that means that it's a summer set that looks like it's going to be underopened, which is a story we have seen play out many times before. And if that's the case, what usually ends up happening is Wizards quietly destroys some product uh, at the distributor level where necessary, and there's less of this stuff floating around than there would have been otherwise. And in any situation where the mass crackers aren't tempted to go back to the well multiple times, you do have this potential for early standouts, especially for EDH play in this case, um, to start to accelerate faster than they would have normally. This is... Um, uh, there are a couple interesting things going on here. The first is these uh, cards only being available in the collector's boosters, but the CBs hitting so poorly, um, you know, the combination of the summer set with the week, the week cards in general, not really moving much paper. Uh, Druid of Purification specifically doesn't even strike me as a remarkably excellent card. I mean, it's not bad, right? Four mana, two, three, when it enters a battlefield, each player may choose an artifact you don't control. So, it, you know, in a four-player game, it's going to blow up four artifacts or enchantments, but none of them are yours. Uh, I mean, I guess that's not terrible. It's certainly doable, but not the type of card I would expect people to go, you know, too wild over. It's doing pretty well in Commander so far and is therefore targeted similar to probably Robe of Stars, which we see further up the list, going from 4 to $9. And keep in mind that these extended art versions of the Commander cards from the associated decks that show up in the CBs do not have foil analogs. They only are... The best version you can get is the, the non-foil extended art. Mm-hmm. 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 All right, so moving on up this... Uh, top paper movers. We have Flamekin Harbinger out of Lorewind, four to almost seven dollars, sixty-eight or nine percent gains on the back of Modern Elementals, constantly uh, doing well in uh, the modern tournaments lately. Ditto with Risen Reef foils from M20 going from five to nine dollars, up eighty percent. Uh, Fury going from ten to twenty. Uh, bonus if you pulled some of those out of your set boxes or collector booster boxes for MH2 because they'll probably keep trucking for a little while 
and there could be some nice exits uh, before end of summer. Uh, then we have Memnite out of Scars of Mirrodin, foils going from 10 to 22 on the back of Hammer Time, being a tier 1 deck in Modern. That's that's a little wild. Uh, is that... Do they only have the one pack foil for this? I guess so. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, no, there's the Mystery Booster foils as well. And those... Let's see, what... A, how much for a mystery booster foil six bucks yeah and there's a decent supply on those um so i wouldn't be too excited about the original foils there's also the uh full art promo which is by far the coolest version of this card um those are not foil uh but they are cooler than the peck foils uh only nine of those left and they're at 18 bucks probably worth a look really there's not as you said nine listings the second uh, second listing is sixteen copies at seventeen dollars, and there's a few more under twenty, and then they jump up to thirty and beyond. So could easily get drained out if Hammer Time stays a force. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be funny to see Memnite jump again, competitive again. How many years has it been since Scars Mirrodin? <clears throat> Fifteen or so. Yeah, r- right around there. Mm. Ten Those, I think the promos are 11 years old I think they're from 2010 Yeah, 2010 Chalice of the Void foils from M25 90 to, I don't know, whatever Something over 200 Call it 250 for 150% plus gains Chalice of the Void is the number 4 most played card in modern According to Goldfish So uh, not tremendously surprising to see this And the Seb McKinnon version on, on the rise So this is the M25 pack foil? Yep. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's see. TCG player has no foil copies in the last two days, but they're only giving us 10 results. I think the last sold copy was about 56 bucks. See the, thing, see, the thing here is there are multiple other fancy versions, but none of those fancy versions are cheap. You have Time Spiral Remastered foils from just a few months ago, but there he started 150 already. 44 listings left. You have the Masterpiece from Kaladesh Era. And those are pushing 200 plus. 250, 260 is actually the lowest foil listing uh, in near mint. And there's only nine listings total stretching up into the mid 300s. And then, of course, you have the Seb McKinnon one that I called out several months ago, which is currently low down to 12 listings. And the they have a couple of walls, one with 20 copies at 108 and one with 12 copies at 115. And then after that, it's pretty much clear sailings up to 200. I think that Seb McKinnon one's going to be a slam dunk. Give it another six months to a year. They're going to be gone, gone, gone. Yeah, yeah. Seems to, seems to be that way. The, uh, I mean, at this point, I feel like I'm hesitant to buy any foil Chalice of the Voids anywhere. I'm not going to say that you won't succeed on any of them, but I feel like this ship has mostly left the port at this point. And it's definitely, uh, I think... Well, I was going to say reliant on the metagame, and we are in a meta right now that is very favors Chalice very much in Modern. I guess and it would And have that's very, unlike, very unlikely to change as they keep pushing the power level for that format. Chalice, yeah. is, gonna, is, Chalice is an important safety valve against the very fast decks that can, that can churn one mana spells. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's fair to point out that 
it's unlikely that modern's mana cost is really going to get much higher. I'll tell you, if I've got to choose between... Choose a Chalice of the Void foil around 110, 120, I'm looking at the Mirrodin foils. Because that's original printing. And much harder to replace. And that, that, that curve, price curve, is significantly steeper and more shallow in terms of overall inventory. You've got one person at 115, you got a pro trader with four copies at 120, and then an ex-pro trader with a copy at 120, and then <laughs> some other folks in MGG Mint cards squatting on the top near 150. So, uh, yeah, Mirrodin foils are probably a buy, because they'll eventually be three or $400. See, I... Mm, this is one of those situations where it's... I don't. I can't. I can't comfortably say that that's incorrect. Like, yeah, the Mirrodin foils probably will be three hundred dollars, and obviously the liquidity on those would be very low. But that'll be the price, and somebody somewhere will pay it. But at the same time, it like rankles me because those Mirrodin foils, as I've mentioned before, are awful. Like, you would only buy the Mirrodin foil essentially as a collector's item, not as a card that you think looks good and want to play with. See, but there, but that's but that could still work. That could still I, work. Your arguments about certain errors having bad foils always flies right over my head because as someone who plays double or triple sleeved, who gives a shit? Like you can't see, and and no one's picked up your card to like pay you the compliment. The whole thing with premium cards is you're expecting compliments and no one cares. But <laughs> so because you can't really even see it. So so then why pay $300 for a foil mirror? Cuz people cuz people are committed to the card, they're they're willing to to pay to get a fancy version. If you look on Facebook and just go through the foreign uh foreign groups, people come on there every day and go, "I want this random Korean card and this such and such a thing and I want this random German card and foil." And it goes on and on and on. I mean, they're a niche, they're a small portion of the market, but that demand is present. And, well, like, th- and there's also just the the, you know, people that have been playing modern for a decade, that whose decks are fully tricked out, and they've already got two copies of the Mirrodin foil, and they're gonna buy the other two when they get their paycheck hits. Well, I, I mean, I said that I I'm not saying it's wrong. I probably will end up working. Uh, I guess it just it upsets me because I know that the card looks like garbage, and you feel it's unnecessary. Yeah, it's just I, I I mean I'm getting angry at collectors being collectors, which is which is ridiculous, right? It's just I don't know. I, I look at that and I go like, I, I why would I ever buy that card? I would rather buy one of the five other foil versions of this card that all look good, and it's not like they're plentiful themselves. <laughs> oh yeah, these these time spiral old border foils are probably future three hundred dollar cards too. Yeah. Yeah, I've been wanting to pick those types of things, but uh, the price is so high. I generally stay away from them. Moving right along, Tide Spout Tyrant uh, Battle Bond Foils. There's only two versions of that ever printed. It's in 4.4 thousand EDH rec decks, shows up in cubes and stuff. Foils went from 20 to about 80. Feels targeted, but relatively easy to do so given that it's a Battle Bond Mythic, a relatively low... Uh, supply set and the original printing was what dissension quite uh, a few moons ago yeah it, w- it was rare in battle bond but even still 
there probably weren't too many of those floating around. Was it was it rare in Battle mm-hmm. Pokemon? Yeah. Um it's a that's a really cool card that used to be very popular in uh, in vintage actually. I don't know if they still play it as much cuz I don't pay attention, but uh a nifty oh, yeah. card. Not a mythic. Hmm, my bad. Uh, Calumny Garden sh- sees a bunch of play in the Glimpse of Tomorrow and Dobbital Creativity decks that want to put a token into play and then turn it into something big. Um, so the original w- World Wake foils have gone from 2 to 11. Uh, 400 plus percent gains. That's probably pretty solid because it's the kind of card that shows up as a non-foil in Commander decks here and there. But Wizards doesn't have a huge impetus to reprint in a setting where it would be foil. I remember, I have definitely tried to, like, or at least looked up Colony Garden wondering if I should spec on it. Like, uh, World Zendikar was 2008, 2009. So, <laughs> definitely have looked at this card several times over the last decade uh, and never quite felt like the supply was where I needed it to be. Apparently, I was just way too far ahead. All right, wrapping things up here, we got Eerie Procession out of Champions of Kamigawa. Foils from a dollar to 13. This is the one that lets you go pull an arcane card out of your deck. Somebody is making early Kamigawa speculation moves, banking on there being arcane cards again. They might be right. It's also possible that if that was true, Eerie Procession would catch a reprint. And I'm not. it's not clear to me that the original foils would thereby be in much demand unless there is a arcane based commander that piques people's interest and all of a sudden arcane cards of all stripes are in demand yeah yeah i was actually looking at some of this stuff earlier um today to see what the options were for specking on um coming out era cards because i do think there's probably some opportunities in there mostly because people the price will go up and people will buy them once the new coming out was announced and it doesn't even matter if they're good or not um, I, I kind of was thinking about, I, you know, I spent 60 seconds thinking about it and I don't, and I don't have them on my, my picks this week. Um, I, if you're going to get into that, first of all, know that it's really risky. Second of all, uh, I don't think arcane is the way to go. If I had to pick any of the mechanics from Kamigawa, it would be spirits. Yep. I agree. I, yeah. Those, that's the one that I think they're most likely to return to. Um, it's not to say that Arcane won't come back, but that was kind of a weird, clunky mechanic. And they tend not to revisit a lot, especially keyworded type cards, when they return to stuff like, to, to format, to planes like that. But creature types are more reliable. So Spirits and ninjas both seem extremely likely. Yeah, and it was also one of the only places they really did snakes. So I could see snakes coming back too. Actually, I think they're fine. Snakes, rats, ninjas, spirits, all all reasonable. Yeah, you'll have ninja constructs because it's supposed to be cyberpunk, so they have to be like half construct, half ninja. You'll have mm. snake construct. Yeah. And, and and Ghost in the Machine is a whole cyberpunk theme, right? So there's no way spirit. <laughs> if I'm doing the art direction and narrative planning, that's just too tempting to include spirits, especially since the whole plane was basically, the first time around was a battle between spirits and the non-spirits because... Such and such, the emperor stole the child of the biggest god on the plane, or biggest spirit god on the plane, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, I, the spirit, the spirit tie-in makes a lot of sense. So, uh, I, you know, I don't have any of them on my picks this week. I think there are several that you could, you could splash in if that's what you were into. Um, 
So I don't know. They're out there if you want to get into it, I suppose. Alrighty. Top magic online movers of the week. We start with Archive Trap out of Zendikar. From about six tickets to just over eight tickets, 40% gains on the black uh, back of blue-black mill usage. Uh, Fury also made a move in uh, digital form from 14 tickets to about 20 tickets, 40% plus gains on the back of Modern Elementals play. Prismari Command is seeing play in a whole bunch of decks in both Standard and Modern, also in Historic, but that's mostly an Arena thing. From 13 tickets to 20 tickets, so 52% gains or so. And then Darkness was included as a Fog variant in recent Blue-Black Mill uh, strategies, and we see the promo version of that that I think probably came out of Treasure Chest, if I'm not mistaken, since it was a Time Spiral, Time Shifted card in that context. Uh, went from five and a half tickets to about eight and a half for sixty-one percent gains. Hmm. Okay. All uh, the dark, the dark, the darkness tech returning and jumping in price again is kind of funny because we did this mm, three years ago. Cards to watch segment three. I've got a couple of foil uncommons that have already moved, and a card that I a mythic showcase card that I've selected now for the third time. So, I am Mr. Original. Uh, and yet, these are all still correct. <laughs> so, starting things off. Drown in the Lock. Foils are draining out pretty steadily. Seeing a bunch of play in Modern in the Grixis, Luris, Controly versions and elsewhere. It also happens to be in 14,000 decks on EDH Rec. And you can still get these foils in the seven to eight dollar range in Europe. It's closer to five to seven uh, when you consider shipping and so forth. And especially since the I think the U.S. dollar is up against the euro, which is uh, good for exporting from Europe to the U.S. again. So we're currently looking at eighteen listings for foil drown in the lock. Uh, these came out mostly out of collector booster boxes, since this was the first set that, to feature those. And seemed like there was just infinite of these around. But we're almost two years from that point. And sure enough, they're draining out. And nobody's got any major walls in here. So this is probably going to go 8 to 20 before the end of the year. Yeah, that supply is uh, honestly shocking how low that is. I was all prepared to hassle you about that. But man, there is just nothing. Yep. 18 vendors and no one's got more than two copies on these foils and uh 18 14k edh is also quite solid hmm yep yeah all, all of which was surprising but here we are yeah and if you're gonna make yeah eight us or europe sure now uh, hard the, to argue there is one pump the brakes part of this Drown in the Lock has a secret layer done in the Mystical Archive style that has been purchased but not yet delivered. Mm-hmm. So, so that will create some drag for sure. But it's pr- pretty likely that coming out of the set that it it is within in Secret Layer, it will probably end up pretty close to the price of the pack foil. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't think that's going to be... It's not in your favor to have this happen. But at the same time, I don't anticipate it being a major problem. I do wonder how popular those even end up being. So this was from the Doctor... 
something something secret layer drop from I think it was May. It was Dr. Layer's Secretorium Super Drop. This is the one with the, the, the shocks and all that. And so in the Mystical Archive set, foil sets were 40 bucks, and you get a Fire Covenant, Fractured Identity, Fracturing Gust, Drown in the Lock, Artifact Mutation, and All is Dust. My guess is that the All is Dust ends up being 15 to $20, and the Drown in the Lock is somewhere between 5 and 10 Hmm. Sure. And, and the art on that Drown in the Lock is nice. So they may well be a target once we get a little further down the road. That is solid for sure. But the cool, the cool frame. But I, in cases like this, where there's really only two foils available, and both of them are probably about the same price, and the pack foil will still have purists who believe that original printings matter. Uh, I think I think this is uh, still looking pretty good. Yeah, I mean, well, I well, I and probably a lot of people do pref- will prefer the secret layer printing. Uh, there will be plenty of people who don't like it and just want the original one. And with inventory as low as it is, it doesn't seem like that's going to be too much of a problem. You can still sneak in for a double up. Alrighty, what's your selection? Uh, well, I uh, I'm going to start with Toxic Deluge, which I felt like we had talked about, but doesn't seem like we've talked about it in a while. So mm, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure I had the borderless foil from Double Masters on my list somewhere last fall. Somewhere last year. Well, it's currently thirty bucks. Uh, well, no, no, no. You're you're talking pack foil, right? No. Oh, you're talking you talking borderless. Borderless foil is thirty bucks. All right. Yep. Still looks, I mean, I'm looking at it right now. We're at 48 vendors. I mean, I, I've, I've started picking up DXM stuff like about, what, a month or two ago, roughly. I mean, if I went back and checked the spreadsheet, I'd be able to pinpoint where basically I started picking them myself. But, you know, we've got 48 vendors here. Um, there's a bit of a wall over at Cardhouse Games. They've got 23 of them, which is not insignificant, but there was some good inventory numbers on some of these other ones, like um, Stoneforge Mystic had some real inventory on it, and that got burned through within a couple of weeks. I don't think this is going to move as fast as that, uh, but there's definitely some demand here. I see, I mean, just checking TCG players' latest sales, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of the last 10 sales are foils, and that's two days three days uh so the card is definitely moving um it's in forty-five thousand eth rec decks the art is fantastic uh better than you usually get with any of this type of stuff uh it's really good in the latest command in the new hot commander prosper uh you're probably not going to see a really great premium version of this again anytime soon i mean maybe but like probably not so uh you know with just it just seems like all these points are Setting this up to be $55, $60, probably later next year, I would presume. So it wasn't me. It was Cliff that selected yeah. this last, and it was basically almost a year ago. So he, on episode 233, August 18th, 2020, calls this at 35 to go to 60, very close to your own call. <laughs> um, his logic was that at the time, Card Kingdom was buying for cash at 30 and then, you know, he called out 29,000 commander decks. And since then, we've added another 5,000 to the pile. So this is this is a case where there was a delay, but his call is going to end up being right. It's just going to be a little longer. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it is kind of funny that 
the price hasn't moved too much, you know, since we started here, uh, or you know, since we talked about it a year ago. But it's still good. It's you know, it looks it was good then, and it's good now. And it wouldn't be the first time we've had this happen on the cast. Uh, but I don't think that that is necessarily a problem. It just means it took a little bit longer than we thought it would. Yep. And and really, what's happened is the price hasn't shifted much, but the overall inventory has. Did you say in his notes how many there were? No, but I recall it was definitely way above this. Like okay. when, when he was talking about it, it was probably at 111 or like 120 listings plus. Okay. Given where things were at early on with Double Masters. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, we have definitely been hollowing out on copies. And sometimes that's what you see. If, if there's a steady drip drip and the $30 copies of something don't get swept away in a chunk, leaving $35 copies... And sometimes, you know, a $30 copy sells, but then the next person goes to sell one they've got in inventory and they just post it at the price of the last sold. And so they sell without ever going up the curve for a while. And so I see that a lot in selling on eBay where I'll, you know, I buy something at 10, I'm looking to get 28 for it or something. And I'll sell one at 28, one at 28, one at 28, one at 28 over some course of, you know, some small number of months because to post it at any higher of a price would put me above six or seven other vendors mm-hmm. so so i just I, I would rather just churn so i do and then eventually you know maybe i don't sell one for a while and then my mind sells and when i go to look it's obvious that a bunch of the people above me also got bought because the market has hollowed out to the point where somebody took a swipe yep. um, or somebody talks about it like on a cast like this and then players run out to get copies because they double check and they go oh yeah this looks like there's a you know, steep curve it's going to be more expensive soon I better finally get in on this so yeah Tox Deluge is going to be a 50, 60, $70 foil borderless version it just needs based on, the, on what we've seen so far probably something like another 6 to 12 months to hollow out completely yeah, yeah, which is roughly, you know, kind of where I put it time-wise. Alrighty. So moving along to my second selection, I've got Risen Reef as a card that was flagged just above in top paper movers going from you could have gotten them for five bucks last week. Now they're closer to nine or ten, depending on where you're buying from. Um, but as it turns out, there are still copies sitting around on TCG Player. Uh, let's see. What are we looking at? I think it was eight bucks last time I looked today. Yeah, foil, near mint. Ah, uh, no, 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 no. Risen Reef, somebody took another swipe at these. Riven, R- Risen Reef foils are basically don't exist on TCG Player. So for Risen Reef, you want to be looking at Europe because you can still pick up copies there around six or seven dollars. And given that they are essentially sold out in the US, and the fact that it's not a one-trick pony. The Elementals deck is doing well in Modern, and this is a four-of in that deck, and that's that's a big deal for as long as the deck is doing well. There's also only a single version of the card. But it's also in eleven, uh, sorry, 12,000 EDH rec decks, which is 8% of all blue-green decks. And between that and being sold out on TCG, those Euro copies are real tasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the card is really having a, a moment in the sun here. Definitely seeing a fair bit of traction so i'm calling six to fifteen zero to six months seems very reasonable hmm. i wouldn't play i wouldn't place an order from europe just to get a double handful of these but to throw it in with other stuff you're already buying from associated vendors yeah for sure yeah yeah i mean you know the the modern 
chops are there. Uh, we've seen it repeatedly. I saw it referenced by um, a content producer as being one of the decks to, to beat in modern right now. And the EDH numbers are quite solid as well. So the, the demand is clearly there and it's going to move copies. And there's not, at the same time, there's also not a particularly excellent version of this either. Um, so it's just it's just a pack of foils. That's, that's what you're getting. All right. Tell me about your second selection. Oh, the other one, next card this week is kind of surprised me with popularity, but here it is. Uh, Toski, Bearer of Secrets out of Kaldheim. The foil showcase copies here are floating around 17 bucks right now, uh, which is a little, sounds a little pricey. Um, Toski is in uh, 8,000 EDA track lists, which means it is the second most popular non-land card in Kaldheim. The only other non-land card that has more copies out there is Bergy, uh, and it's only about 10% more popular. So Toski is quite, is really up there. People are putting them in their decks. The four, This is the four mana Toski, is the four mana 1-1. One, one. He can't be countered. He's indestructible. He attacks every turn, and whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So you're putting this thing on the table and it's going to keep attacking people. They're generally just going to block this, but the fact that it gives a fitty into all your creatures means it can really draw you some cards here. And it's a squirrel, so it's got some of that action going for it too. But there are only 23 vendors with showcase copies and nobody's got more than a playset. set. Uh, I, I take that back. I'm sorry. The gaming company has 12. I mean, the gaming company is always going to be the, the biggest wall here. Uh, and so 12 is not insignificant, but it's not, you know, a 40 or 50 copy. Uh, and meanwhile, if you check out Bergy, uh, that has twice as many copies or twice as many vendors, it seems, on TCG Player right now. So uh, Toski is, is popular for sure. Um, I, I don't quite get it, uh, to be honest, but it's certainly moving copies. So you're getting in right now about 17, 18 bucks. And I think by next year, these are going to be 25, maybe $30. And, you know, from there, who knows? If this was a mythic, this would surprise me less. But a foil showcase rare making this kind of movement speaks to Kaldheim, CBs, potentially, and the set in general, potentially have being being underopened. But the thing is, in the latest Hasbro uh, financial reporting, I think they called Kaldheim the best-selling standard set ever. Or, or they flagged Strixhaven and... Uh, I have to go back and double-check. Maybe they, they were only flagging Strixhaven. But nevertheless, in, in Europe, you would expect to be able to get these cheap. Like, you're calling it at 17 you'd think they'd be like, max $10 in Europe. No, someone's already gone after them in Europe. There's nothing under 20 euros, which is more like 25 US. You can still get them in Japan, but you can't get English copies. English copies on Harayuya foil showcase are sold out at $15. You can still get Japanese foils at $15, but whether anybody wants to play this word soup of a card in Japanese foil has yet to be proven, and you may as well let fools like me do it instead of wasting your time and money. Yeah, so it's it's... It's kind of odd how popular it is right now, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the dearth of people opening the Kaldheim booster boxes is probably where it comes from. Well, it, if that's even the case, if, if Hasbro is telling us that Kaldheim sold really well, then it's a different matter entirely. It's just that Toski's more popular. A, a cool legendary squirrel is more popular than you or I would give credence to up front. Yeah, yeah. 
So there you go. And, and that's a blind spot for us. Like that, It's important to understand your weaknesses. On multiple occasions, you and I have underestimated cute, pet, etc. based cards. Yeah, I mean, I guess there was the cat, the, what was that, the cats thing? Cat secret layer that made money. Yeah, that was, um, I mean, that really just caught everyone off guard, I think. All right, so moving right along here. This is a card that two pro traders came at me with this week, and I have already called twice on cast. And the first two times I called it were only like five weeks apart last fall. And both of those original picks are going to be correct in terms of where the card ends up, but clearly now is when you were supposed to be buying it. And so on that sub-theme of declaring weaknesses... Foil Mythic Showcase, and this is why Toski is so surprising to me. Omnath Locus of Creation was doing very well in the fall. And in a variety of situations. There was Nib-Mizzet decks that were slash Bring Delight decks and various iterations thereof. And then Uro was not yet banned in Modern. And Uro Omnath decks were running around. And it led me to call, I think first at 30 to go 50 and then later at 23 to go 45 omnath locus of creation it was episode 242 was the original call yeah and it's only in 3,000 decks so far in edh as a commander and i think less than a thousand in the 99 but tcg is down to 33 listings now and you can get this car foil showcase mythic at 18 so you're basically getting a foil showcase mythic at the same price that you can pick up Toskies, which is a rare. And you're going to have trouble convincing me that the overall demand profile of Toski is higher than Omnath. <laughs> well, it's po- it's possible because I've already <laughs> declared the blind spot on cute squirrels, but I, I don't I haven't seen the evidence yet. So Omnath is a very powerful card, probably underplayed so far in EDH. I mean, it's held back mostly by being four colors. Um, and otherwise, it does all sorts of crazy stuff in that format. And I certainly had Jason E. Alt beat me down with it a few different times uh, in his landfall-based decks. So yeah, Omnath, Locus of Creation. Shout out to the couple of pro traders that also had this idea this week. Um, thought it was a good time to flag and show people how a card was 30, then 23, then 18, but it's still headed to 40 or 50+. plus. So as long as you're getting in... Somewhere in that cycle, you're going to do just fine. Okay. Uh, I mean, I I have liked the card a couple times. If I didn't pick it, it was because it was already picked by you and or Cliff. Um, the card is done pretty well in EDH, in Modern. Uh, I mean, the price looks pretty good right now at $18 for those foils. Uh, it was very good in Commander there. Still is too, right? But like, that's not news. Well, inventory um, on this was really deep. Yeah, yeah. And and not just on one occasion. There was multiple the gaming company crack jobs that went down on the on the Zendikar collector boosters. You've had a couple of different opportunities to get uh, Zendikar collector boosters pretty cheap on Amazon along the way. We've certainly moved hundreds of cases of Zendikar collector boosters through Pro Trader. So lots of this stuff was floating around, but we're still, in less than a year, down to 33 listings. That says a lot about the popularity of the card. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
It, it it's certainly moving. I mean, it's it had a lot to burn through, but it is moving them. It's burning it. Yeah, it's getting there, making progress. All right. Similar situation on your next pick. Yeah, uh, this is Command Beacon, not to be confused with Command Tower. The Commander's Arsenal Extended Art Foil. Mm. Uh, Arsenal or Commander Legends? Oh, Legends. Sorry, I put CMA, but that's supposed to be CML. Commander... No, CMR. CM... Commander Legends is CMR, believe it or not. Oh, that was CML. Uh... Yeah, they're floating around fourteen dollars right now. The it's in twenty five thousand EDA, twenty four thousand EDA truck decks, so pretty good numbers on Command Beacon here. Very healthy. Um, yep, there's only twenty four vendors. There's no walls. Uh, you know, maybe we'll see another premium version of this at some point eventually, but you know, it would have to be fairly soon because that's not that many copies, all things considered. Um, if I'm looking at the TCG player sales, I see three foils in the last three days that have sold. Those are LP, but I, that doesn't matter too much. So there, you know, there's definitely some action, some action on the card. It is moving copies. And again, there's, you know, 30, 35 total copies on TCG player right now. Um, I know that there's some reluctance about the Commander Legends extended um, foils and the quality of them. Uh, I... I'm willing to be wrong, but I'm inclined to think that it doesn't matter. Like, well, I, I, I think it's something that gets talked about on social media, but when it comes to players buying cards, I don't think it matters. I'd put an asterisk on that. I think that in the, in the circles, in fully enfranchised people that pay attention to social media that are in the know, quote unquote, it matters. Like you're going to have, you would have more trouble selling one of these to a pro trader than you would to random person. But all that matters to me and you in the end is, is the inventory piling up and not selling or is it doing fine? And according to this sales data on TCG player, one, two, three foils have moved in the last few days. That's a completely fine pace given that you're only at 26 listings and there are no major walls. Nobody has more than three copies of this. As you said, it's selling regardless of the reputation of the foils from this set. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm not saying that the foils aren't kind of crummy. I'm saying that it doesn't matter that the foils are kind of crummy because most of the people who are going to buy this are going to go, oh, I need a command beacon. Oh, I don't have one. Oh, I can get a foil for 14 bucks. I'm going to throw it in the cart. And they're not going to worry about it too much. So even though you see hand wringing from people on social media, you know, the people that are buying the card don't care all that much. So I think these are probably going to work in your favor as well. This next one is our Pro Trader selection of the week. And I was certain one of us had, had picked this in the last four to six weeks, but I don't see it anywhere. So I think it's just one of those cards where as soon as the reputation of the card in Modern developed... I knew it was going to be a pick on this show because it, it was kind of inevitable. But Pro Trader got to it before we did. So Prismatic Ending Retro Foils, Modern Horizons 2. Uh, the Retro Foils can be found in, I think, collector booster boxes, set booster boxes, and regular booster boxes on a declining scale of drop rate that drops off pretty steeply off the, the collector booster boxes. Currently, you can get these around $9. They're no cheaper anywhere else. Uh, I think Japan is way ahead on these already. Um, Mid-20s or early 30s or something. It's the number two most played card in modern, according to Goldfish. And 
It's number nine in Legacy. So not only did Portable Hole not displace this card to any significant degree, it's a runaway train. Potentially, arguably the most successful card out of Modern Horizons 2, despite all the noise about Urza Saga and Ragavan. Hmm. Uh, I, I definitely looked at this card, but was the price was high enough. And I mean, the set is so new that I just decided not to get involved. Um, so we're at nine bucks right now, 70 listings. I mean, that's not nothing for sure. And these come out of all the packs, although we did say that they were. But se- but 70 listings of a foil common that uh, uncommon that just came out? That's nothing. Yeah. Uh... And, it, and it's in a very similar boat as Dragon's Rage Channeler and Unholy Heat. Two of the other... Uh, Unholy Heat's a common, but DRC is an uncommon. But DRC doesn't have a Old Border Foil, and neither does Unholy Heat. Hmm. Well, this is definitely, I mean, this is showing up in the format, right? Like, I can't, I'm not debating that at all. So, for instance, DRC pack foils, there's 110 listings currently, and they're sitting at about $7. This, so, I'm positive that Prismatic Gunning retro foils are going to go up. The question is just what the timing is. Could you wait, I mean, is it possible that you could wait another three months? Well, it burns through some of the ply, but but this price stays at ten or less. Yeah, am I promising that? No. Yeah, I, I think that's the correct analysis. These is I think this is going to depend very much on whether people take big chunks of this. Like, I'm very tempted to just go ahead and buy twenty copies of this at ten bucks a piece. The the I mean the mass the majority of Modern Horizons has got to be open by now, right? Yeah, I believe that very like, strongly. Okay. We're probably through at least 80% unless they do a very large second wave, which... We know that there's a wave of collector booster boxes that's being distributed in Europe soon, which is, to my my knowledge, not not more inventory than was originally planned. It's Europe getting the ones they didn't get for the first wave, which had been, because of supply constraints, redistributed elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, So... But people will likely panic over that when they start showing up and, you know, there might be some deals, blah, blah, blah. Nevertheless, I don't think enough of it is going to flow. Like enough additional foil prismatic endings, old border are going to flow to challenge the current pricing and push it down to say $5 or whatever. Like I'm, if this, if I grab 20 copies now at between nine and 10 and then later it gets down to eight, I'm just going to buy 20 again. Right. Unless I see, like, the listings jumping up over 120 or something. But on its current trajectory, I think it's I think it's fine. Looks very tempting. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess what it really comes down to is, is it, do you really expect it to get much cheaper than where it is right now? And the answer is no. So I think that it could take a little while to go up, but I find it unlikely it will lose much more than a dollar in value from where it sits so uh it's probably fine to buy now in the worst case is that you bought in a little early and a dollar too high so harry you just put it on the japanese foil copies on sale as part of a broad sale they've got going on and they're now 
have it on sale price at $20. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. But they have the English old frame at $35 still. Yeah, their prices on those are nuts. I've been keeping an eye overseas on foil, retro foil stuff, and they are astronomical for the most part. That which leads me to then check what is the buy list in Harayuya on Prismatic Ending? Foil old border English. Because if it's you know, gives you the, the backstop. On English foil old frame, they're offering eight dollars. So there is there's virtually no risk, especially if you're a pro trader and you have access to buy list in Japan through us. The this looks very reasonable because Japan's probably out in front on this. Card Kingdom will probably catch up in the not too distant future, and I think this play is is dead on. Yeah, can't again. Hard, I can't really can't really argue with it. I was like, eh, a little eh on uh, on whether it was time, but really, you're the only the only thing that you're paying here is opportunity cost, essentially. People are going to say you can still get these in set and draft booster boxes all year, but A, draft booster boxes basically don't exist. Set booster boxes, they do, but the drop rate of foil old border uncommons is not high. Like, you'd be lucky to pull one, maybe two, out of a set booster box. And the odds that it's exactly prismatic ending are very low. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Card Kingdom is currently offering $6 cash, seven eighty credit on these so they, they're pretty pretty even with harayuya in that regard it makes me feel pretty good about nine to ten dollar copies yeah yeah i mean i mean japan's prices alone at least make it feel like you don't have to worry about a, a extra inventory coming from overseas at half the price of the american ones all right so kudos to pro trader archmage bagel you have won the $25 gift certificate from Cool Stuff Inc. Thanks to our lovely sponsor for supporting uh, the Cards to Watch segment and our pro traders. Good job, Bagel. Bagel. Uh, so segment four, topic of the week. Uh, I guess the first play where so we'll start here. Flesh and Blood announced a $1 million, $1 million with an M, Pro Tour. Uh, which I have already seen pull several Magic players into its orbit. I saw uh, Brian, I want to say Gottlieb, was talking about having bought some. Tom Martell, Brian Kibler, several people have uh, have started to jump on the train because Million Dollar Pro Tour, it is worth checking out. Now, my understanding is it's not a million dollar single event. It's a million dollars for their organized play program. Which presumably means that there are going to be local, local stuff that'll be prize supported with cards, usually promo cards. That's a thing, big thing with the uh, with the flesh and blood crowd. And then at a regional and national or world championship level, that most of that million will be distributed. Um, the point that a lot of people are making is that Wizards had a perfectly functional pro tour that cost them money, but was miles ahead of what most other card games had put together and kept together for a long period of time. 
they went ahead and said, you know what, we don't need this. We're we're gonna invest money in other directions. And as much as I miss the Pro Tour, I think they're right. Um, they're reporting record profits during COVID without it. So so far, they're right. Now the debate going on in the Pro Trader Discord off and on is something along there's a lot of points being made but something along the lines of is wizards missing the long game and what people mean by that is sure record profits now because you put out a bunch of good products and all of us were kind of hoping covid would be over soon but if covid is a <laughs> whoops <laughs> but if covid is a 3 to 5 year thing <laughs> instead of a 12 month thing then a might that put games like Magic back in jeopardy uh, in terms of people just saying, you know what, I can never play this game. I'm just going to put my money elsewhere. I'm going to go buy a uh, a wing foil. You know what that thing is? Uh, did you say a wing foil? Yeah, it's my new obsession. It they basically came out a couple of years ago. They're like kind of like a foil kite that you could go kite surfing or kiteboarding on oh but it's just like a it's just like a semicircle that you hold on to while you are on something you could be on rollerblades ice skates skis snowboard surfboard stand-up paddleboard foil whatever and then you basically are just holding an umbrella <laughs> that the wind catches and you go flying off into the distance uh, yes, I, I have seen those on the water over here. I thought you meant that was a different type of foil process for <laughs> flesh and blood cards. It's a, whole, it's a whole new one for the next secret layer, yeah. So, yeah, there's, so that's one of the challenges to the current, hey, we're so rich now from WotC, is that, yeah, for now, but maybe COVID will have something to say about that. The second part of it is, even with even if COVID was to fully retreat in the next six to twelve months, which is not the future I see, but okay, um, you know, first you would have to have your red states accept the commonly understood science and get vaccinated. <laughs> uh, Alberta, as well, by the way, our Texas of the North is doing just as badly. The uh, assuming that COVID disappeared tomorrow, you still need wizards to support the LGS network to the extent that they clear Friday's schedule to support FNM. Because if FNM turns into flesh and blood in M and there's only so many seats in an LGS, there's only so many days of the week. So in an increasingly competitive market where you got to share table time with Pokemon and Digimon and flesh and blood and whatever else might show up you the theory goes might be worried that as the stores stop supporting magic the local magic community collapses and the game is in trouble because even though that's not where you know a lot of their sales go through other channels presumably even if you're buying on amazon you're not playing on amazon you're buying on amazon to play locally yeah, right. Like it's you're you're effectively there's an opportunity cost to running magic events as far as the store is concerned because they could be running flesh and blood or something else instead. And 
if there's a pro tour scene for flesh and blood with money in it that players want to get into uh and they're excited about that because they see they see money and they see blood in the water they see flesh and blood in the water but uh you know their magic's not going anywhere really beyond fnm could definitely be some chatter there to make a transition. So the thing for me is that I'm struggling with is trying to analyze to what extent that would even matter. Because all the signals we're getting from Wizards is they don't particularly care about the LGS network. Now, it could be one of two things. It could be that Wizards are being complete arseholes and... The chatter internally is something along the lines of, yeah, we need the LGS network, but I bet we can get away with starving them a little more. Mm-hmm. Or it could be, hey, we really actually don't need those guys. Everything that we, all the data we have in front of us says we could sell through big box, Amazon, eBay, TCG player, whatever, and our sales will keep going up if we craft products in such a way that they are more collectible and more designed to be played casually amongst friends. So it's basically saying wizard saying we don't we're not actually we don't actually believe that competitive play at a local level is all that important. And we certainly don't believe that being able to roll that up to regional and national and world championship type aspirations is particularly important. So we'll have some of that going on, but it's not going to be our main focus. And we're going to see how that goes. I think it might actually be a mixture of the two. I think there is some of Wizards saying, here's a bunch of organized play programs. They're lost leaders, like they're pure expense we don't associate them directly with revenue or profit although i think they're probably missing the target there like there's some intangibles there that i if i was on team over there i'd be arguing were very important they got rid of helen uh that used to run organized play at some point and that was kind of a clear signal that they wanted to go in another direction because otherwise there was no real reason to to let her go and there's also some some truth, I think, to the possibility that the Magic community was overly focused on the competitive scene and that the unseen casuals were actually always what was driving the game. And as Wizards came to understand that more, they started to shift the brand in that direction. Yeah, it's... Yes, I, I, we, we've talked about this. We've, we've, we've skirted this a couple times and my input has been that even if the pro tour functions as the loss leader, the existence of it, the knowledge that it's there, the semi aspirational status of it, the fact that it drives larger events that make it worth going to F and M and creating an ecosystem in which people want to play casual magic alongside their competitive magic is all very important for the game. And they're just, you know, they're just trashing all of that by pivoting and turning to, okay, we're just essentially going to turn into nothing but casual product and throw away this humongous history and legacy of a competitive scene that all of these people that were enfranchised and invested in it 
Um, it really does seem like they are, what is that cutting? Not, not cutting out the nose despite their own face. That's not the, the situation that applies here, but definitely feels like they're burning a tremendous amount of essentially brand capital that they don't need to. Um, and I do, I do think they're missing. They're not looking far enough forward. Uh, and they are getting stuck in the ultra capitalist problem of next quarter's profits matter beyond anything else that could happen. Yeah, I don't know if I've decided that they're cutting off their dick to start the barbecue or not. The well, I have not heard that version of this before. It's a Canadian expression. Uh, the um, why would uh, why would you remove that in order to start a barbecue? Uh, cause you didn't have any wood or charcoal or whatever, or like hmm. beavers, the beavers all died. So there was no trees locally chopped down and pre-cut for your use. Hmm. Okay. It's, it's like a, it's a complicated Canadian metaphor. They only, yeah, def- really only get it if you live in Northern Quebec, I think. Uh, okay. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> it could, it could be translating poorly to us English as well. The, um, yeah. So wizards, in trouble down the road i think i'm more worried about covid than i am about transitioning leaning a 40 percent angle away from lgs's because it's not like there's zero support right like they did ultimate secret layer with fetches last summer they did another one this year with the pathways which i thought was ill-conceived but here we are they had a pretty solid promo set uh, for the releases this summer. You can get old border foil fable passages and the like. And the product mix has been very compelling. And largely, except for secret layers, available to the LGSs through their distributors. So despite, though it is definitely true that there are smaller stores that get less access to inventory because more of it goes to Amazon these days. The bigger stores, the flagships, you know, your channel fireballs, although they're retiring from the industry. So switch to your star city games, your card kingdom, your, you know, Mox boarding house, 401 games here in Toronto, face to face, etc. Those places aren't going anywhere. And they're not pulling support for magic. They're going to dabble with flesh and blood and hope that flesh and blood's team treats them better. But the flesh and blood million, you know, throw a million at the prize pool, et cetera, is also a very obvious up and comer move, right? Like what else are they going to do? Yeah. They're, but like they, they have to do that to try to get traction because no matter what you think of Flesh and Blood, whether you think it's a better game or an equivalent game to Magic or a worse game, whether you think it's Flash and Pan or not, the bottom line is Flesh and Blood is not a certainty to continue. Like, I'm hearing lots of anecdotal evidence that the game is doing pretty well, but I think a, a ton of the early interest in the game and the purchasing of product for the game was very much related to speculation. And... I think they've got a ways to go to consistently be able to fire their version of FNM in enough cities worldwide that the future of the game will be secured. It's also, it's also worth flagging that there's been games that used to fill big convention halls, 
like Legends of the Five Rings back in the day that did very well for a handful of years and then fell apart. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so to challenge Magic's 30-year crown, you're going to have to do some pretty amazing stuff. And so far, what I've seen from Flesh and Blood, strong gameplay, mediocre art direction, weak narrative, um, an X organized play organizer that worked on magic stuff taking what they learned and improving on it for their own game is fine but it's not mind-blowing it's not like the tesla of the industry so <laughs> i i don't think wasi is is sweating the flesh and blood thing too much i i don't think they're sweating it either but i mean you look at stuff like every card game in the past that has tried to compete with with magic on the sort of like competitive game that you can play in a convention center right that same space has been competing with magic flesh and blood may not be competing with magic because if magic just abdicates the throne if they just say, hey, you know what? Um, we do better selling casual product and we don't want to support a competitive infrastructure. Now you don't have to choose between going to play Legend of the Five Rings or Magic on Saturday afternoon you know, or Flesh and Blood Magic. You're just going to go play the Flesh and Blood event. And then you'll go play EDH later that night, maybe. Well, um, and it's really hard to disentangle their current response, basically nothing, to from COVID because... If COVID, again, if COVID had finished six months ago, they might well do more to counter such a thrust. They might feel compelled to make some announcements about organized play that would get people fired up, but they can't even really commit to any of that. In fact, I think Flesh and Blood is probably making a mistake committing to that because when they made those decisions recently and decided to make that announcement... They probably thought the world was headed in the right direction, but the last two weeks have proven very much to the contrary. You know, you got Florida reporting 21,000 hospitalizations or something, and they were 20K plus cases a day when the population in Florida is about 21 million. And here in Ontario, province of Canada, where Toronto is located, we got about 16 million or so, and we're doing 170 province wide. So. Uh. <laughs> There's, there's a lot of places that are open for business running magic stuff that are not going to be open for business for long. Yeah, I, it, it is, you know, if you're from Flesh and Blood's perspective, uh, possibly unfortunate timing. You know, they might have thought they were Clear for nailing takeoff. the end of COVID and whoops. Uh, maybe. And is that going to be a problem for them? Like, did they blow their entire wad and now this isn't going to draw the number of bodies they needed it to? Um, well, or more to the point, they never actually hand out the money and they end up looking just as silly as Watsy mm. because they can't run the tournament. So there's no money to hand out. Yeah. But I mean, it, you know, if you're, if you're flesh and blood, you get to at the very worst, trot the game you know come back with your tail between your legs a year later and say uh covid screwed us up we're gonna try this again it's not like it went tits up because you did a terrible job running it you just get to blame covid and at the very least you know in the public eye you're gonna have a little more 
Uh, they still got the headlines this week. Yeah, they did, and then they got a bunch of Magic players to buy ma- to buy cards. Right, yep. like no matter how you cut it, a bunch of Magic players bought those cards. There's plenty of people in our Discord and in Pro Trader that bought first edition Flesh and Blood, looking to make money, but also bought some unlimited Flesh and Blood to quote unquote learn the game, quote unquote try it out, whatever. And that includes me. I've I've cracked some unlimited boxes just to see what's up. Um, I don't feel particularly compelled to play the game, but. Uh, and I really don't like the look and feel of it, but I'm certainly happy to make money on it if other people do. Yeah, I I can't bring myself just because uh, those cards look worse than Yu-Gi-Oh cards. I mean, just I don't know about that. Yu-Gi-Oh is pretty ugly, really awful. I have now. I will admit to not having physically held a uh, what you call it card in my hand. Uh, I'll say that they but, do. They but do. Goddamn, those do not look good in pictures. Fair is fair. They do premiums very well. Cold foil equipment looks is a fantastic premium, especially given the context of what the equipment actually does in the game, and how and the fact that it's on the board from the very beginning of the game. Um, like so, you're basically like it makes sense to have premiums of those cards because you they're out all the time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a, having a premium commander. The and then the their legendary cards that are one per multi multiple cases have have also you know commanded multi thousand dollar price points, and for a game that's less than two years old, that's pretty astounding. Um, so back coming back around, do you think that Wizards is missing the long game? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think that I, I I think they are intentional in what they are doing. I don't think that they're. I don't think that they don't realize what they're doing. I just think they're choosing to prioritize the short term over the long term. That is a very conscious decision, and they don't really care if it's going to nuke the long term profitability and culture of the game. On my end, I think I say no. I don't think they're missing the long game because I think they're making cal- calculated risk and they have all the information that we don't have. But I <laughs> I do worry that both for Flesh and Blood and Magic, a really long COVID will be an interesting test of how long you can float a game piece-based collectible only on the collectible aspect. It is entirely possible that Magic will just keep... Like, if we go into another cycle of lockdowns this winter, Magic will just keep trucking, because what else are you going to do? Like, I spent this weekend uh, wake surfing. I'm not going to wake surf in the middle of January. I'd love to go snowboarding out west, but I don't really want to get on airplanes during lockdown, so... Uh, yeah, I'm probably gonna, that, that's gonna be another trip that gets canceled that gives me more money to spend on collectibles. And I, and that's, that scenario is the one that I think is the pivot point for whether magic is safe to be investing in over the next couple of years is to the, to whatever degree collectibles keep doing what collectibles have done so far during COVID is likely to determine where things end up. Well, I think that uh, that sort of 
even even if this drags out for another entire year, possibly longer, people are still going to look at COVID as temporary. Um, and they do they do expect to get back to the tables at some point in time. So, uh, and and I would bet people have a multi year perspective on that, honestly. So, um, I don't expect that to be a a major barrier for magic because it has the longevity built in for something like flesh and blood. It's a lot more of a problem. Yeah. Cause they're trying to get momentum. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if your friend is refusing to get vaccinated and you've already tried every other argument, try the, we could play more magic together. <laughs> Cause yeah, there you go. Cause they really will get to play more flesh and blood, more magic, more monopoly, more, whatever Pokemon go. I mean, there was a big, there was a side note. There was a thing about Pokemon Go lessening the distance restrictions. Because, you know, like with Pokemon Go, people show up at a park to go capture a specific Pokemon. So they all end up standing together in a circle. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And during COVID, they had Niantic um, had widened the distance that you were supposed to be close to somebody. And they Mm. took those restrictions away this week and people were discussing it on social media about how it was irresponsible. Just to get closer again. Yeah. Hmm. So, I mean, there's there's all sorts of, like, there's going to be this elastic band effect where, you know, the, the government says, go ahead, go forth and prosper, and everybody tries to, and then cases rise, and then they have to pull the reins, and then everybody has to change their policies again. But if you end up in a situation that's bad enough that there's more stimulus, then that's just going to be more fuel for the collectibles fire. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say, I mean, we are way off the path at this point, but I really don't think we are going to see um, a lockdowns in the way that we saw them before or B stimulus again. Um, Even in Canada, stimulus just ran out. Yeah. I, 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 uh, whether or not they should is an entirely different question, but I I think that the, at least the American political system is, uh, very clearly willing to kill kill people a lot of people <laughs> yeah so it's gonna, it's gonna like be a lot the, yeah i mean the eviction moratorium uh, 11 million expiration, people mm-hmm. yeah very clearly they do not mind funneling poor people's bodies into the fire to, to burn capitalism so well, they do not want to give you more money and the, the spookiest angle i saw in that discussion is that a lot of places have simultaneously criminalized homelessness Mm-hmm. And a lot of companies that are struggling in terms of their profit margins during COVID have shown been tendering contracts for prisoners to provide labor. Yep. That's not a nice daisy chain. Yep. Yep. And then you have uh, BlackRock. I don't know if you've caught any of that. Have you heard about BlackRock and their uh, their deal? Uh, this is a the private military contractor. No, that's Blackwater. Oh, okay, right. Blackrock is a essentially, I, and I'm sure that we have listeners who are going to be way better on the details than I, than I am. But essentially, a massive investment firm who is buying property, like residential property, like in city blocks worth. Sure. So you have this massive wave of evictions that are about to come. People are expecting a lot of properties to go up for sale because people are getting evicted. And then this company just, I mean, we were talking about like 
hundred billion dollar investment fund just continuing to buy houses over market uh, and essentially trying to create become essentially the biggest landlord in the country. The coordinated consolidation of wealth vis-a-vis real estate. Yeah. Yeah. In a scale that has basically never been seen before. Lovely. Yeah. All right. So where can people find you online, Travis? Oh, should I choose to stay on social media and not escape to cleaner past the great north and just just leave it all behind uh we were, you know we were talking about that the other day we're all like when i was younger i really liked the idea of like living in a city and being urban and you know being really part of it and now it's like all of us are like very technically apt the group of people are like yeah i, I would move to a commune <laughs> up in the northlands of Canada. Like, I mean, I don't really want to do it now because, like, I'll go up there alone and just kind of, like, I'd bring, you know, I'd bring my wife and kid, but it'd be like, I don't know, lose some of the social aspect. But, like, an honest to God commune, like, with my buddies, eh, it's extremely appealing at this point in time. I mean, we spent the whole weekend on a private island on Lake Nipissing that's been basically zombie proofed. So I can, and there was a conversation over the dinner table about, whether the owner that we were visiting, uh, you know, what stocks and so forth did he own? Because he had brought up, asked somebody else about whether they still held Bitcoin. And his response was, I buy fruit trees now. He's just been spending thousands of dollars buying and planting fruit trees on his island. Hmm. I- and he, he lives on a massive source of fresh water. <laughs> on crown land that is unchallengeable and like completely un he'll never have another neighbor he's 11 miles from shore and he's very close to self-sufficient mm, that's what his angle is yeah i see uh yeah i mean that's one way to do it man uh i was trying to figure out what the profit angle was there i don't know i, I think i think i think he just counted it and tur- he he was Counting up survival ducats. Sure. That's uh, a different approach, but still very reasonable. Uh, I don't want to be responsible for anything that survives. Like like greenery is just a nightmare. I have a house plant that's just about dead sitting next <laughs> to me that I bought three months ago. Very bad at this so far. Uh, so a field full of fruit trees, I'm pretty sure I would just be, uh, would be genocide. Um well, but on that happy note, you guys can find me on yeah. Twitter at MGG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MGGPrice.com and my constant haunting of the Pro Trader Discord. Also, like to remind our listeners to, in between challenging large scale capitalism, check out the MGGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per, month, per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering while we discuss our socialist fantasies. Yeah, man, that would I would move to a commune. Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is probably sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Which brings us to the end of episode 283, uh, an uplifting conversation this week, and I will uh, I will see you next week, James. Thank you, Travis, and we'll see you all next week on another episode of MDG Fast Finance.
Mm-hmm. 